This message is produced by the Transformation Edge Church. We believe you'll be inspired and transformed by it. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable. But I, I want us to start, start uh, a particular thought tonight. And that thought is surrounding understanding more of God. Developing a word mindset. Developing a word mindset. One of the things, one of the topics I've thought about is something to shout about. Because in God's word, there's so many things to, to just scream about, to shout about. And another one is don't rush it. And I've settled into that one. Don't rush it. Selah. That's what I call it. Don't rush it. Selah. Can you say to someone, don't rush it. Selah. You know, in, in the book of Psalm, Salah, it's actually more or less an exclamation of some sort. And it means pause and ponder over it. Pause and ponder over it. So it talks about a particular idea or concept. It says Salah. In other words, pause. Don't just rush across. Don't go running about. Pause and ponder over this point. In school, when lecturers go, or rather, when they repeat a particular point twice, you know there's something important there. You hold on to it. At times, when they highlight a particular statement or a particular concept, you know that's possibly an accessible content. So you think about it. You will highlight it with a different color because you know you've got to come back there. God's word is full of things like that. And I want us to start possibly a series tonight talking about different ideas. But we're starting off with the idea of don't rush it. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. So when we come to the point where we study God's word, don't rush it. Okay? Because now we are studying. We are not just reading. We are not um, skimming through. We are studying God's word. Are we still here? Because our church is a church whose vision is to lead through the knowledge and wisdom of God's word. And how can you lead without understanding and studying God's word? And I thought about the idea of rush. And I checked the Cambridge Dictionary. It defined rush as to cause to go or to do something very quickly. You know, at times we require to do something very quickly. Even at home, you know, whilst we're doing a few things, go, come on, do it very quickly. Do it fast. We can do every other thing fast, but one thing 
that we shouldn't do very quickly is to study God's word. Take your time. Salah. Let's start from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And this was Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And his letter to the Ephesian church is very much relevant to us as it was back then to them. But it's not only just the relevance of his letter, it's also what it teaches us. What it teaches us about who we are in Christ. And that's the key to the whole thing. Who are you? Because until you understand who you really are, there are so many things that you cannot take advantage of. So who are we in Christ? So let's, let's see what he started saying. Verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, so praise be to him. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is where I call you to say the next word, Selah. So let's think about this a little bit. Say, so praise be to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? Did he say who will bless us? He said, who has blessed us? So just thinking about that idea of being blessed, you can walk away and go, I'm blessed. You see, we're not joking when we say I'm blessed. Because the word says it, and I believe it, that settles it. He didn't say, who has blessed us because we are this? Or who has blessed us because we've done something? He said, who has blessed us? Let's rest in that a little bit. Who has blessed us? Who has blessed us? Praise God. He said, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ? With every spiritual blessing in Christ. Can, can you put on the... The Amplified Translation, please. I like that. It says, may blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual given by the Holy Spirit blessing in the heavenly realm. It says, who has blessed us in Christ? Who has blessed us in Christ? In other words, the blessing is upon us, one, because we are in Christ. So the blessing is to those who are in Christ. So, but how? It's quite interesting that this blessing is only directed towards some people, not everyone. It's only directed towards those who are in Christ because those who are in Christ are the ones that Jesus died for. So that this blessing can come unto them. You might be asking, is that even true? Yes, it is. Galatians chapter 3. And see what happened. 
there. Oh, verse 15. So to speak in terms of human relations, brethren, if even a man makes a last will and testament, a mere, merely human covenant, no one sets it aside or makes it void or adds to it when once it's been drawn up and signed, ratified or confirmed. Um, but now the promises were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed. So the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, his offspring, his heir. He does not say, and to seeds. In other words, God is not saying that these promises were to seeds, but rather to his seed. It was not to Abraham's seeds, as in many, but it was to Abraham's seed, as in singular, one person. So, in other words, the Bible is saying that the promise is not even to Isaac. The promise was not to Esau and Jacob. The promise, because they were just the figures of the real thing which was to come. All right, so look at it. It said, he, God, does not say unto seeds, descendants, heirs, as if referring to many persons, but unto your seed, your descendant, your heir. Obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Christ, the Messiah. So in Abraham, Jesus was foretold. Alright? So if you see how it started, it said the promises were decreed, to, decreed and made to Abraham and his seed. So that promise was made to Abraham and his seed. Verse 12. Say, but the law does not rest on faith, does not require faith. Has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, he who does them, the things prescribed by the law shall live by them, not by faith. All right? Then it says, Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse, the doom of the law. We'll talk about that in a minute so that at least you understand it some more. Okay, so Christ purchased us. In the King James Version, it said Christ has redeemed us from the law. All right? And we're not talking about Christians because Christ did not redeem Christians from the law. Christ only redeemed humans from the law. Christ actually did not actually redeem humans from the law. He only redeemed the Israelites from the law because it was only the Israelites that were given the law. The law was not given to Gentiles because as a result of the presence of the law, the Gentiles were condemned already. Are you still here? So let's say, for example, I say the only people who get my inheritance are Michael's children. And immediately I say Michael's children. Everyone who is not Michael's children is cut off from my inheritance, as from my property, right? It's true. So when the promise came to Abraham, it was for Abraham's seed. And when God gave the law, he gave it to Abraham's children, Abraham's offspring, to continue to direct them to inherit the promise. So, with the presence of the law, every other person was cut out of benefiting from the law. So now in verse 13, he says, Christ has redeemed us. And the reason why Paul is saying Christ has redeemed us is because he was not a Gentile. He was a Jew. 
He was one of those who received the law. So he's saying, he said, Christ has redeemed them. Okay, so he's not talking about us here because we weren't Jewish. We, we, were, we aren't Israel by nature. Are you still here? So for us, when he's saying Christ has redeemed us from the law, for us, we had no hope. As ordinary people. Okay. So Christ has redeemed, has purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse, the doom of the law, and his condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. In other words, for him to be able to, re, you know, to redeem us from the law, he became a curse for us. Why? Because the scripture says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. In other words, cursed is anyone who hangs himself by suicide on a tree. Or who is hung on a tree by anyone. So that person, and that's in the book of Deuteronomy. So cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. Anyone, so although he's dead, but he's annihilated. He's completely gone. And these are the kind who would not see the kingdom. Are you still here? All right. So based on that, the Bible is saying that Jesus himself, by hanging on the cross, which is hewn from a tree, he became cursed. But don't forget that he did not hang on the cross by himself, by his own volition. He was hung on a tree. So he became the propitiation for us. Actually, not for us, for them. Because considering the big picture, we weren't part of that picture. But see the reason why he did. All right, look at it. He said, becoming a curse for us, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or who is crucified. And the reason for that is that through their receiving Jesus Christ, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon who? The Gentiles. Because there is no promise to the Gentiles. But Christ Jesus becoming cursed annihilates the idea of the law controlling people. So it's not only just relegated to the Israelites, it releases everyone into that promise. Why? Because the person that the Bible talks about in terms of who receives the blessing is the seed of Abraham. Listen again. It's the seed of Abraham, not the seeds of Abraham. Not his offspring, but rather to the heir of salvation. That is Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, who is meant to have inherited the blessing in a sense, became the curse... That removes everything that holds anyone back from receiving the promise. Are you still here? So to the end, that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we, through faith, might all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we, through faith. So that was why... And if you don't mind, go back to Ephesians chapter 1 again. That was why when it says, Blessed be God our Father who has blessed us in Christ. Are you still here? Who has blessed us in Christ. It then means that if you are outside of Christ, you are unblessed. 
Does that make sense there? So regardless of how much we love people, and if that person is not, is not in Christ, he's not receiving this blessing. And when we talk about blessing, think about it. Blessing is not just the capacity to buy a house. Blessing is not only just the capacity to do something that makes you smile. Blessing is all-encompassing word which suggests your joy is a blessing. Your healing is a blessing, or rather your, your life, your healthy life is a blessing. The capacity to make money is a blessing. Are you still here? It's a blessing. So Ephesians, again, verse 3. Do you want to do King James Version for me, please? So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all and that's another part that I want you to think about. And say, who has blessed us with how many? With all. With all spiritual blessings. In, heaven, in heavenly places, in Christ. How lovely that it says all. So in other words, as a Christian, as someone who is in Christ, you should enjoy a life of blessing. You should. Think about John chapter 3, verse 16. What did he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, what's the next word? Should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, when he says should, is that same idea of this is what belongs to you. You don't get worked into it. It is yours. And we need to start thinking that way. When things are happening in your life, the first thing you should be thinking about is, I am God's child. I'm in Christ. You see, until your system understands that you are the in Christ... The devil will continue to take advantage of your ignorance. And you don't want that to happen. You don't want to get to heaven at the end of the day you realize how much belonged to you and you had not used 1% 1 of it. And now you're in heaven, you can't use it anymore anyway because it's expired. <laughs> because your blessing on earth belongs to earth, right? And the one in heaven is, is heavenly. Of course, at that point, you become very greedy in heaven because now you want to quickly use everything up thinking this life is going to end. It's not ending. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, and, and this is the reason I'm saying, hey, when you get to scriptures like this, don't rush over it. Say, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us, who had blessed us. With all spiritual blessing. It's a but it's spiritual. How come only my spirit is blessed and my physical life is not blessed? So because only God only blessed us spiritually. Hey, let me explain that a little bit. Do you know God is a spirit? And all he's got to give you is spiritual blessings. You know the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, this one. So in the beginning, God created, 
Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. All right? So, in the beginning, God created. God created. So, there was no heaven nor earth before he created them. So, that means there's a spiritual thing going on there. God is a spirit. So, every other thing was spiritual. So, when he gives anything... And when it creates anything, it comes from a spiritual perspective. And that bears upon the physical because there's nothing that you see today that was not first and foremost present in the spirit. Because when God said, let there be light, what did you think happened? Where did the light come from? If he had not created it in the spirit. Because if you check out Genesis chapter 1, verse Three, when he said, let there be light, and God said, let there be light. In verse 2, he said, and the Spirit of God hovered. Another translation suggests that the Spirit contemplated the earth, the darkness, the void. Contemplation. Contemplated it. Muttered over it thought about it. So everything that became real was first created in the spirit. That when it was done, he started to speak. Let there be light. He said, and there was light. Because he had to conceive it in his spirit first. And that's more of the reason the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And until you start to speak forth beautiful things, amazing things, not only just beautiful and amazing things, but rather God's word over your life, there are things that will not, never happen. There are things that will never change. But we've got to come to the point where we understand that we are in Christ. Hallelujah. All right, let's go back there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us. Say to yourself, I am blessed. Because that's what the Bible says. Say, who has blessed us? Praise God. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4. Say to someone, don't rush over it. You say, according has. He had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. And without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved. Go back to verse 4. Oh, hallelujah. He said he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. What does that suggest to you? That you are not an accident. Biology might suggest that you are an accident. Right? It might say, well, there were so many eggs, but you won. But you're not an accident. You've been predestined for this life. And not predestined to suffer. Because you might be going through a particular situation in your life 
And you're thinking, oh God, is this the kind of life that you've made me to, be, you know, to live? No. He has created you with a particular purpose. And his purpose is seen here. He said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. And when he says that we should be holy, it's not to say that you should do things that makes you holy. Are you still here? Because regardless of how much you try to do, you can never, and my never is in caps, you can never be holy. Because it's not by your might. You say he has chosen us in him. He has chosen us in him. He could have just said he has chosen us. But he said it's in him. And if we are in him and he is the holy God, what does that suggest? His kids have got to be holy. All right. He said he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. All right, let, let's go very quickly because it says he has chosen us that we should be holy and without blame. And let's look for another scripture that solidifies that a little bit. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. 28 thank you. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are. Did you realize that he says we've been predestined in him? We have been chosen in him. So here he's saying, and to them who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, he's purposefully chosen these ones. The scripture tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And a holy nation. He puts that on us. We did not earn it. All right, so, you see, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He said, for whom he did for new. Did you see that? That he said initially that he predestined us. In another scripture, he's saying, for whom he did for new. No, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many Brethren, all right, let's go. This is where I'm taking you to verse 30, actually 31. Uh, moreover, let's take on 31, uh, 30 first. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. So what that is suggesting, back to 30 again, what that is suggesting is that because he called us, he predestined us. And because he predestined us, he justified us. And he didn't go, all right, so let's do the justification process. All right, let's finish that and then do the calling process. And let's finish that and see if they are still good enough. And then let's do the other process. No, the very same time he called us, that was the same time we were predestined for a higher life. We've been called to a higher life. Hallelujah. Verse 31. 
So what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And this is where I'm taking you to say, who can be against us if God is for us? And now he's starting to define this same question. Now verse 31, uh, actually verse 32 onwards is a definition of verse 31. It's an explanation of verse 31. So he said, if God be for us, who can be against us? And now he's talking about God and the next verse says, he, that is God, that spared not his own son, but delivered his own son up for us all. How shall he not with him the same own son also freely give us all things? So this is an argument saying, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he could dare to give his best, why can't he give us every other thing? What do you, what, what do you think about him that if he could give his best, what is left that he cannot give us? Are you still here? Verse 33. He's still talking about that same question in verse 31. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So he's talking about us now because we're chosen, right? He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Now he's turned into some mathematical, um, there's, there's this thing they call it mathematics, when you start to eliminate you know, some ideas, you start to eliminate some, uh, you know, some structures to find the actual value. All right, so he started that elimination process here. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So there are three persons that could do that. All right, it's either God, because only God can do whatever he wants. It's either Jesus, because he's the one that died, right? Or the devil, because he's the accuser of brethren. But now he's saying, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. So if he justifies, it means he can do the other way around. Because he's the one who justifies. Now the word justifieth, justifies, is actually a, con um, a present continuous word. Present continuous, in other words, regardless of where in history you walk into it, you're still justified. So he said, it's God who justifies. Go ahead. He, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Now he's saying, who condemns? Is it the one who gave their life for your sake, knowing fully well how terrible you are, yet he gave his life for you? Will he be the one who turns around again and condemns you? That does not make sense. So he says, who is it that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So if he makes intercession for us, he's not the one who condemns. Next verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So you see, he didn't even go on to the devil because he doesn't count. Now he's starting to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, regardless of what happens, we are. We are what? Ah. Are you going to rush over that? Selah. <laughs> You're not going to rush over it. 
Because when you see a scripture like that, it's something that you, you, need, you need to settle down. You know, wait. You know, go, go put lunch in the microwave. <laughs> Heat it up. Come back. Sit down. Settle in and go, what is he saying? He said, nay, in all these things, we. He didn't say they. He said we. That includes you and I. He said we are more than conquerors. Did you hear the word more? More suggests something completely different. He said, it could have just said, we are conquerors. So that means we are the ones fighting if he, said, if he had said, we are conquerors. But now he's talking about more than conquerors. That means we, we didn't even show up to the battlefield. But we are enjoying the gains of the war. Are, are you still here? You see, I, I always use this example. Um, Let's use Roger Federer. Everyone knows Roger Federer, right? Good, fantastic. Now, Roger Federer is the only one who goes to the court to play, all right? He plays. At times he wins, at times, but he has won most of the tournaments, right? Fantastic. So you call him a victor. You call him a conqueror because he smashed others, right? He's a conqueror. Guess those who eat of the benefits that comes to Roger Federer, his wife, and the children. Are you still here? His wife and the children. They may decide to come to the grandstand and clap and yell and scream and cry. It doesn't really matter. Whether they are there or not there, they are still entitled to the benefits. Are you still here? So when God called us more than conqueror, he's saying you are not the one fighting. The one who did the fighting has already done is whether you were there or not, you earned the benefit. Hallelujah. So those are the kind of scriptures you sit on a little bit. And these are the kind of scripture you shout over. Because when you realize where you belong, your place in Christ... You, but you, you cannot hold it down, but just shout. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. No longer would you quote those kind of things, who am I that you are mindful of me? Now you know who you are. You see, those scriptures that you, you know, who, who am I? You know, David quoted those kind of, you know, wrote, wrote those kind of words. And the reason was because he didn't have the Holy Spirit 24-7. But we've got the Holy Spirit 24-7. You see, David would have done everything possible to see your day. To see our day, to enjoy this that we enjoy today. But regardless of what they did, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, one of the last verses. It says, regardless of what they did, they did not quite get the promise. They did not quite get into the promise. Why? Because they had to wait for us. Oh, go study it. So they had to wait for us to be justified, to walk into this promise without us doing the work. That's what you get as a Christian. Are you still here? Say, so, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Don't rush over it, Selah. Don't rush over it. Take time to understand what belongs to you. 
take turn. Oh, the greater one lives on the inside of us. He lives there. He lives in me. I'm blessed of God. I'm born of God. In Jesus' name, can you stand on your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I, I challenge you tonight. Go back, you know, when you get back home, look through those scriptures and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know some more. Show me some more. Show me the nuggets in your word. I, I want to see them. I want to know what belongs to me. I don't want to get to heaven and be surprised. You know, I want to use it here. Because at times, you, you know, we said it earlier, at times you get to heaven, you realize you've not even used up to 1% of what belonged to you on earth. But now you can't bring it to heaven because it's too late. So why not study God's word to realize what belongs to you so that here on earth, you can be what he's called you to be. If he says he predestined us, then there's something he must have predestined you for. Find it out. Find it out. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The message you've heard was produced by the Transformation Edge, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com, or on Facebook, The Transedge Church. You may wish to call us on 02-4731-2419. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable.